0: Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and of course the Miami Dolphins. Fins up, here's Steven, your host. What's up guys? Say date is October 4th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over my recap and reactions from the game against the Indianapolis Colts. Again, another little disclaimer, this was a pretty negative game and I know some of you guys have been following me for a long time now, since all the way back in the Adam Gase era or maybe that rough season back in 2019, there's going to be those moments. There's going to be bad games and I have to talk about it as accurately as I can and sometimes that has to uh, deal with the negative side of things. So uh, again, a disclaimer, this isn't going to be This completely upbeat, optimistic episode, but I am going to try to go over some of my thoughts and takeaways from this game. So the first thing here, the Dolphins lost to the Colts by a score of 27 to 17. This is the Dolphins' third straight loss. And then on the other hand, you have the Colts. This was their first win of the season. This was the second game with Jacoby Brissett as the starter for the team. And offensively, truly, really not much changed. The offensive line, again, played to their usual level that they have this Season, which is playing like one of the worst units in the entire league. So, there wasn't much of a surprise when it came to Austin Jackson either constantly needing help or getting beat. He gave up a crucial penalty on what was a 25 yard reception by Will Fuller early on in the game. There were some plays where he looked decent in terms of his run blocking, which was prompting people to question whether he should be moved over to the guard position, but overall, just not a great performance from Austin Jackson. Rookie Liam Eichenberg gave up two sacks in this game and was really struggling to contain his side of the field. Center Greg Mans threw one over Brissette's head in the first quarter. Just across the board, the Dolphins' offensive line is still a mess. It's hard to imagine that this unit undergoes a complete overhaul at this point in the season. The Dolphins had an opportunity to address this group in the offseason. They elected instead to trust their second-year players, and in this case, it just backfired in what appears to be the worst way possible so though the offensive line played bad Jacoby Brissett in this case I think does deserve more blame than in the other games the other ones I was kind of giving him that excuse that you know it's hard to gauge any quarterback behind this offensive line but in this one there was enough to see okay Jacoby Brissett himself is not having a good game in this one there was a checkdown pass to Savon Ahmed where it appears that Jalen Waddell was wide open for what would have been at least a gain of 30 and then when you consider a guy like Jalen Waddle, he could have turned it into way more. He was pressured on one play where he literally just dropped the ball on the floor, which allowed the Colts to recover in Miami territory. His 3.04 second time to throw this week was the fourth longest in the NFL. And that was trailing only rookies Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance, as well as a dual threat Lamar Jackson. So that's a completely different story in Jackson's case. So here you have a bad offensive line plus a quarterback who takes forever to throw the ball. That's kind of been one of his things throughout his career. That was just a recipe for disaster. So I'm sure as more people get their hands on the All-22 film and they start dissecting the game, there will be more plays that kind of showcase how inefficient Brissett was in this game. And it even led to myself as well as some other people questioning, well, should they put Reed Sinnott in the game? How much worse could it truly get at this point? The worst period it seemed like for Miami offense offensively came in the second quarter the Dolphins offense completely stagnated in this portion of the game finishing that second quarter with a net of minus seven total yards so yeah you heard that correctly in the entire second quarter the Dolphins had minus seven yards the receiving game in this one was exclusively Jalen Waddle for the beginning of the game he had three catches for 33 yards in the first quarter but he would finish the game with those same exact stats now receiver Devontae Parker would end up being the one of the bright spots for this team offensively. He finished with four catches for 77 yards and a touchdown. It seemed like every time Parker was targeted, he either made an impressive contested play. Sometimes he caught the ball, but he was out of bounds. But overall, he was a very hard guy to defend in this game. He had one play in particular where bobble he bobbled the catch, causing him to drop it in the end zone. But he promptly atoned for that mistake as he secured the touchdown on the following play tight end Mike Gasicki was non-existent for the beginning of this game it's astonishing that somebody who has so much physical talent could be such a non-factor and like Parker it seems like once the team had nothing to lose Gasicki became involved Gasicki would finish his game with 57 yards and a touchdown and I know uh, Mike over there at Dolphins Talk tweeted that it seems painful but we all know that the talent is through the roof with Mike Gasicki and if he lands on a different team at some point in his career it just seems like it's going to be one of those instances where he's just going to take off like if somebody could utilize him properly it's going to be a completely different story now as we move on here for the running game for Miami it just seems like a lost cause Malcolm Brown once again in this one he got the start he dominated the carries he would finish his game eight carries for 23 yards the Dolphins longest rush of the game was six yards and that was by Jacoby Brissett my Miles Gaskin was once again outcarried not only by Malcolm Brown, but also by Savon Ahmed. To me, again, you guys know I was very big on Miles Gaskin. I just think there's no excuse for Gaskin to be the third guy on this depth chart. So as we move on to the defensive side of the ball here for Miami, Miami came out strong defensively in this game. The Colts haven't been a great team offensively this season, and it was evident in this game. The Colts could get absolutely nothing going and they would finish the first quarter with a net total of only four yards on offense. Even into the second quarter, the defense was in a nice little rhythm. You had big plays by Nick Needham uh, breaking up a pass. You had great pressure where Sam Eguavon as well as Jalen Phillips combined for a nice sack. But it was on this fourth down play where linebacker Brennan Scarlett jumped off sides on a punt by the Colts and that extended the drive for Indianapolis where the defense really began to sputter after that so as expected that second chance that the Colts had led to a big 20 yard run by Jonathan Taylor for a touchdown and that's where things really began to unravel defensively but for the most part they started off the game looking pretty well later in the game tight end Mo Alley Cox caught a touchdown over Eric Rowe Cox gave Eric Rowe that little you're too small hand symbol after that and Cox would finish his game with two touchdowns in this one so some positives here defensively uh, Emmanuel Ogba blew by his man early on in this game and he recorded a sack. Uh, Colts Naheem Hines muffed a punt which actually ended up extending that Dolphins turnover streak to 26 games and in this game there were just loads of tackles for a loss to go around. They nearly doubled the amount they had on the entire season just in this game. They would finish with six. Andrew Van Ginkle had two. Christian Wilkins also had two of his own and they did a pretty good job when it came to neutralizing. Naheem Hines when it came to neutralizing Marlon Mack but when it came to Jonathan Taylor it was just a completely different story now uh, rookie Jalen Phillips applied solid pressure in this game he recorded three quarterback hits I also mentioned that sack that he was involved in overall I thought he was having a pretty terrific performance aside from this one face mask call that was against him it was an absolutely brutal call in which he made absolutely just zero contact with the face mask of Carson Wentz yet the drive was extended on that play for Indianapolis. So guys, to get into some of my takeaways, again, I will preface this by saying, This game had so many parallels, just so many similarities to the one we saw last week, that a lot of these takeaways are almost identical because there were just so many similarities. The first one I have here is that many Dolphin fans have reached a similar realization, and that realization is that the Dolphins offense, to a painful level, is playing not to lose. There's no aggression in this offense until it is too late. Had the Dolphins offense played as loosely as they did in the final moments for the entire game, it may have actually gone in favor of Miami. Indianapolis was not good in this game. They are a beatable team. However, the Dolphins offense elected to play a conservative, scared brand of football until it was too late. Four of Gesicki's five catches came in the fourth quarter and 70 of Devontae Parker's 77 yards also came in the fourth quarter. When they realized that they could move the ball with success, they had already dug themselves in too deep of a hole. The next takeaway I have here is that the Dolphins just frankly are not good right now. That seems obvious to say, but if the Dolphins were to win a game against any other team that isn't the Jets, it would to some degree be shocking at this point. And I'm only saying that because, you know, people say you lost faith or you should just be patient, but right now the rational just thought process, their proper approach just seems to be that the Dolphins are a below average team currently. After three just of performances and then that barely squeezing out the win against a rookie in his debut game to open the season it just seems logical to think the Dolphins just are not going to be favorites they're not going to be necessarily respected by the media or anything of that nature right now and frankly there's no solid argument against it until this team can prove us otherwise so if you're going to be mad at how the media is treating or anything like that the only thing we can do is hope the Dolphins turn it around because there's not many arguments that we can make currently. The next takeaway that I have here is the decision making. I mentioned it last time how it was legitimate to begin questioning. It. I've actually mentioned it the past two times as my takeaways. Well, right now it's just looking pretty horrible. Again, very similar to one of my takeaways from weeks ago. If you look at this from a macro level, like in terms of the bigger picture, Noah Igbenogany was once again inactive while Justin Coleman is struggling. This is last year's first round pick. Last year's, we're not talking about somebody from 2018. This is a guy who's supposed to have some sort of impact. Austin Jackson, another guy, from last year another first round pick it's just a liability right now to have in your starting lineup I understand the appeal of having a project player and being able to have that raw talent and develop it but in the first round you need to have some sort of guys who have a degree of certainty or could provide that instant impact and it seems right now the Dolphins decision making was not good continuing on this macro level the Dolphins traded Laramie Tunsil and then after they traded him he made Bowls back in 2019 and in 2020 with the Texans. So initially, it seemed impossible for that massive haul that the Dolphins have got not to work in favor of Miami, but yet here we are. The Dolphins traded Minka Fitzpatrick, who became a two-time first-team All-Pro with the Steelers. I understand people are mad at him about the whole situation of him not wanting to be played out of position and how he handled that, but again, two-time first-team All-Pro that early on in his career. Then if you look at this kind of on a micro level in just terms of the decisions they make throughout the course of a game, you have Jakeem Grant. I mentioned it last time when he fumbled that play. Again, he yet again muffed a punt. I don't understand why he is on the roster. If he can't provide a massive impact on special teams and he's not really trustworthy as a receiving option, then you could give that spot to somebody else who could provide some sort of impact for this team. I mentioned before, every single receiver outside of Jalen Waddle and outside of Devontae Parker is not having an impact currently for this team. If you look at the stats, Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle this season Season, have 42 catches for 442 yards. Every single other receiver on the Dolphins roster has combined for 11 catches for only 62 yards. It seems like it's just a logical approach to take here. Hey, let's bring up another receiver who could actually help us offensively. And then other decisions that look kind of questionable. Jason Sanders. He was 8 of 9 on field goals behind 50 yards last year. This is a guy that we all argued was better than Justin Tucker, who deserved a ton more respect, regarded as one of the best in the business, and he is not even given an opportunity to kick a 55-yard field goal. I will say Michael Polardi did a great job at pinning Indianapolis within their one, but Jason Sanders should be trusted to kick anything that is under 60 yards. That is how good he is. And then the decision just overall to use the run game so sparsely and to elect to roll with Malcolm Brown out of all players as the primary running back, you saw the impressive outings that Savon Ahmed and Miles Gaskin had last year and just completely erasing that from your memory in favor of a guy who has one 20-yard run and really nothing else to show for it this season. is just completely staggering to me. Now, the last takeaway I have here, and I don't say this to say that Uh, You know, I don't like Tua, because I know what that's gonna open the door for. I still am optimistic that Tua could at least, you know, uh, I think what we've seen so far with Brissett being the quarterback is that the issues stem way bigger than Tua. But my takeaway here is that the Deshaun Watson to Miami situation seems more and more like an unavoidable reality. I said previously that I can't see how any team would trade for Deshaun Watson right now, but the reports insist that Miami and other teams are still interested. Having a conditional element in place could allow the Dolphins to not invest heavily in a guy with a massive question mark in his future, and now you have a situation where just about everybody is going to be under immense pressure for the Dolphins. You got the new coach here. You decimated the roster back in 2019. You tanked that season. You got all the picks you could ever want, yet it seems that we're back at square one. Chris Greer and, of course, the offensive coordinators are obviously going to be in the hottest of seats but even Brian Flores who seemed just about unfireable before the season is looking to even be questionable at this point not to mention everything in regards to Steven Ross the pressure the desperation the fear all of that could lead to bold decisions to stop the bleeding and there's no bigger way to do that than by landing a top five quarterback in the NFL so it seems like more and more this could be an unavoidable reality so guys before before I wrap up the episode. I want to give my thoughts on a topic that is on Twitter. I know people are very frustrated with the idea that the Dolphins have no running game. It's because they don't have great running backs, and that's why they have no running game. You already know the angle I'm going to take to some degree. I am not huge on the idea of going after a running back in the first round, you know, unless there's some outlier situation where you have a guy like Derrick Henry who's available or the rest of your roster set, then by all means, go ahead and get the flashy running back. I'm also not necessarily in favor of getting a guy with a massive contract because I look at David Johnson, I look at Ezekiel Elliott, uh, you know, I look at Todd Gurley, all those situations seem to not pan out in favor for the team. So overall, I don't like that approach. But I see people saying, oh, the Dolphins a mistake by not drafting a running back. I mean, uh, honestly, if they would have gone Najee Harris over Jalen Phillips, I'm neither here nor there. I loved Najee Harris as a prospect. I know I was expecting the Dolphins to go defense, but if they went Najee Harris there, I mean, the guy is extremely talented. If you remember near the mock drafts, I was also a big fan of Javante Williams. He was actually one of the guys I was in favor in terms of the value of where you could get him, the talent he offered, but at the same time, I don't think any of those guys are fixing the problems. If you insert Javante Williams as much as I like them into the offense, what changes realistically, not much. I know some people are saying, well, one of those later picks, you could have gone Trey Sermon. And I don't think people realize that there isn't always success. I mean, Trey Sermon is, was a healthy scratch for the 49ers initially. He was behind Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Jamichael Hasty, Elijah Mitchell on the depth chart. They were completely disappointed in what he had to offer, but they're such a run heavy team, a team that knows how to run the ball so well. They can basically plug whoever in there. That's why you see people scatter around to whoever's the San Francisco running back because they know whoever gets plugged in there is going to do well. So I think if anything that kind of reinforces the idea that, okay, landing a premier running back isn't necessarily a priority for the team. And I love Aaron Jones as a player. Uh, Aaron Jones to me is awesome. I was completely in favor of the Packers, you know, freeing him during those moments where it seemed like they were reluctant to give him carries. He got the carries and he never looked back from that point and I I love the guy, but at the same time, I can't watch any of these Dolphin games and say yeah, if that's Aaron Jones getting hit behind the line of scrimmage, it's a much different story. Uh, unless you have an elite level guy like Barry Sanders or just a freak of nature like Derrick Henry, I can't see many people with the offensive line in his current state really getting anything done on the ground. So, guys, that is how I'm gonna wrap up today's episode. As always, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at Shady Steven. You can also follow me on Twitter, that is at ViaTheSource. Any topics, things you'd like for me to discuss in a future episode, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. It would mean a lot. But guys, that is how I'm gonna wrap up today's episode. As always, I'm Steven Masso, and this was via the Source.